what? It it does its function very well. Okay. Wait, are y'all trying to shame me for the George you Foreman? You shouldn't be no. using the George Foreman stuff. Why not? Okay, you let me tell you what you I use to, it for. You need and to then grow you tell up and get a cast iron skillet and do your searing on that, and, and it'll be better. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, if you would like uh, to gift me a cast iron skillet okay. in exchange for this uh, you know espresso what? machine. Cast iron see? skillets are extremely inexpensive. They yes, are. they are. You can and actually, it would be best to get it at a secondhand store. I get mine from, from Marshalls for twelve ninety nine, and they sell large cast irons that go for like 20 Do you? It, you don't buy like pre-seasoned ones. You season it yourself. I season myself, Dave. I have integrity. Well, okay. Clearly. Well, the per- says the person who is still using the George Foreman grill. Um, I was gonna say for Christmas we got an infrared uh, grill situation. So now it's like a battle between which one are we actually gonna use? Okay. Because the infrared is like really huge. Yeah. It kind of messes with my brain though. That it's. Does it put cooking. off a similar product? when it's done we've only cooked one thing on it so far okay because it's hard to use a lot of steps no it's very easy cleanup Mm. it's just like that's why something seems wrong no all you do is like put your food on there that's why i stopped using the foreman it's just cleaning it was no the foreman yes the cleaning is the worst and i'm not gonna lie do they have removable plates now for the foreman? I think, yeah, I think that was... you got to take the whole behemoth <laughs> machine and, and... just try to wash it. It's the worst, man. I was like, this isn't worth it. I gave it to my brother. Y'all not going to shame me for the George Foreman. You know, I... We got, hey, if you we feel shame, George that's Foreman on you. <laughs> that came with a quesadilla maker. Did you guys ever see those? <laughs> it is an apparatus larger than a George Foreman grill that only makes quesadillas. That's the only thing. Who's going to put a quesadilla maker on their counter? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's Um, using it that much. Okay, for the George Foreman, though, first of all, I'll have you know that I used it earlier this week. No, it is still not clean, so there's my confession. (laughs) Oh, one Um, one, one hack about the cleaning. you got to clean it while it's still hot. I know, yes. I boil water and pour it. Yes, exactly. Um, Also, we do make quesadillas on the George Foreman, um, but mainly it's for salmon, our salmon. But we eat a lot of salmon, you so we get to use a lot. You well, you know, we don't have one of those, but what we do have <laughs> is a George do Foreman. You, do you cook fish on your cast iron skillet? Mm-hmm. You do? Because it that leaves a no, little bit of a taste residue in there, too. I don't, I don't know. Next time you heat it up, you smell the fish from the, the time before. I don't think so, no. I think so. Mine doesn't. Okay. I must not have seasoned mine, mine uh, properly. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. So do you want art or do you want Cortana? Well, clearly I want the art. Don't break his heart. I know, right? I want the art. You see the hope in his eyes. (laughs) Do you want art or... Because if I I have to make the Cortana, it's going to take 30 more minutes. I have to disclose that the art is a 70-30 likelihood of happening. Okay. Because I don't want to make art Last time do you I want got some a great... non-existent April. art, or would you like the beverage that you actually requested? It would be a camel. <laughs> I'll let play. Once I see how this milk is textured, I'll be able to give you what my uh, update on percentage of success right yeah. I wonder how uh, how many different options if the if the milk was perfect, how many different options of art are you prepared to? I think we're fifty-fifty on art now. I can okay. give you a couple. I can give you a Rosetta, or I can give you a heart. Art is so subjective, isn't it? Always art, if wow. you say it's art. Wow. I mean, all that I've been through already for this is already art, so. 
he spends so much time on the actual drink, and then he puts it in, in the us. least expense, like the cheapest. <laughs> oh my gosh, Whoa. that is beautiful! Whoa! You have to, um... It's the pitcher. It's the pitcher. The oh wait, that's me. Whoa, dude. That's amazing. That's that's beautiful. It was definitely worth the wait. No, it just depends on how it tastes, though. Oh, Usually, oh, when wait. I make it, me and Dave, <laughs> me and Dave end up sharing it the whole time. <laughs> Sips. All right, oh here we go. Okay, I'm not okay. dead. Yes. <laughs> we'll let you know. <laughs> I think I think Wendy's so nice that she was like she's just being really graceful about it. But that's coming from a ten dollars machine. Actually, I don't know what the machine is worth at retail, like new. Yeah. But I got it for ten bucks. I bet it's a hundred bucks. I don't think so. When it was new. <laughs> Enjoy that. You know. Nice. It's great. <laughs> What's the, uh, I need to, I'll look that up later. All right, so you guys ready? Yeah. Yes. Wendy's here enjoying her mocha latte. The art. And I must, I have to say that, Wendy, you are the first guest to also enjoy latte. This is. <laughs> what? The, mm -hmm. No, the, the other times we've had guests on, we haven't gotten to the level where they can actually get latte. Oh, yeah. this is a very... We've had some experiments, just the, the two we've been, of us. We've been close. I mean, it's just been us. Yeah. We've made it a couple times. Yeah. Um, we were close uh, a few weeks ago when we had my brother on, because we did that at my house, mm -hmm. and I was going to use my, like, machine at home, but that night my daughter was sick and, like, up crying. Look, and, kid, like, I didn't want to make... every plan you've ever made. And I didn't want to make yeah. more noise, uh -huh. so that was done, and then uh, we had another guest, Sarah... But we did it at her house with no machine. That was before I got this one. So you're the first guest to fulfill the, the vision uh, of the, the podcast. vision of the podcast. The, the vision from the beginning yeah. has been, and I explained this on uh, two episodes ago, how the name came about. The name came about is that we would make a mocha latte for our guest. Well, well, looks you. like we're done here. Episode <laughs> over. All I right. Well, thanks. More, than, more <laughs> in this one episode than we have in you can seven see, before. You can sit that somewhere if you like, or if you. I'm going to drink it. Okay. At a very slow pace. Would you mind if I tried it? No. Are you like germaphobe? I'm not, but you should think about if you are. The the art on this latte is the best latte art I've ever seen you produce, Dante. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. All right. Does it meet your standards? Mm -mm. It's it's better than like a latte you'd get at a cafe around here. Oh. Yeah. But the. We talked about this. The coffee's not brewing at the right at the right pressure because the machine. Dante it, knows way too much for his own good. Like right. that's the problem when it comes to like <laughs> specializing in things. Like you actually care about the details. See me, I don't care about any of the details. I don't care about any of the details. I like it though. I enjoy. I, I would enjoy that if that's I were good. drinking it. That's yeah. good. So Wendy is a is a is a, a buddy of mine that I met here at church. And then we struck up conversations, and I think, like, the foundation of our friendship has been food. Yes. Talking about food. Yeah. Uh, Wendy's a foodie. Food and criticism. <laughs> food and constructive <laughs> criticism. <laughs> That's funny. Where do you live, Wendy? Um, I live in Beltsville. Okay. Beltsville is not known for their cuisine. 
It should be. Oh, really? It actually should be because in the... Okay, well, it's first... It's a transient place. Yes, and I should also say, you know, everything in Maryland, it's like, this is Beltsville, but then right next to it is like 500 other little small... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. communities, neighborhoods, houses. Um, so in my immediate vicinity, there is or there are several very delicious restaurants, um, kind of more local, hole-in-the-wall type places. So mm-hmm. like Korean food, Jamaican food, mm-hmm. um, you know, Indian, Thai, um there is some other food there that I don't know from where, but there's like <laughs> I just know it's delicious. <laughs> so there, there are quite a few places, but not if you're looking for maybe something that's like quote unquote fancy. So okay. none of your coconut milk yeah, needs right. will be fulfilled. Right. But <laughs> there are lots of delicious food. So. That's awesome. So that so that makes you when you when you experience high quality stuff, it makes you. Uh, it makes you automatically sort of spot when you encounter it. And it also makes you very privy to when you are encountering a less than product. Mm-hmm. So when you're out somewhere and something isn't good, you know more. Like your, your bar gets raised. Uh-huh. So that's, we, we talk a lot about, about, about food. Yeah. So you live in Beltsville now, but where are you from? And then... Yeah, we just want to like kind of get to know you. I like to ask people, "Who are you?" and to hear what they say. Like, because one, there's no wrong answer, but I just like to see like what people say. Like, how do how do you classify yourself? So, who am I? Yeah. Um. Hmm. Who am I? I am a. I would say a. <laughs> a lifelong learner, and I laugh because I was like, I would also say I'm a risk taker, or nice. other people think I'm a risk taker. Um, and I am always on the move. That's cool. Yeah. So what would you say is the last thing that you've done that you considered a risk? The last thing that I've done that I've considered a risk. Mm. I think the last thing that I've... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be like, knock your like yeah. knock your socks off risk. It's just what you consider right. risky. Right. We'll see. That's so, a- yeah, and it doesn't have to be like, like this um, amazing story, but sometimes it's just you put yourself out there in a different way. Yeah, that's, right? that's true. Yes. I mean, I think for me, though, the last thing I've done that I really considered a risk was quite a while ago um, when I quit my job. Nice. Um, and didn't really have like a plan, so yeah, I think that's that's, that's, that's the big. last thing that I really think of as a risk. Mm-hmm. Um, other things I don't really may other folks may see as a risk, but I don't necessarily see okay. as a risk. So yeah. that's why I say I think other people might think that I'm a risk taker. That's cool. Like what your getting, risks normally look like, or um, what? What? Why do people say you're a risk taker? Now I can think of something yeah. more recently than okay. that. So I got into a car with a stranger, re- not recently, but a few years ago. Not like yes. a Lyft or Uber, uh-huh. um, but like an actual stranger. And yes. I didn't really think that was risky because I wouldn't. 
just engage in risky behavior. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but it was risky. Um, and I had posted about it on Facebook and had several people be like, you should not get in the car with strangers. This is not a good idea. And, you know, my dad was like, I don't care if your friends think this is cool. Like, you should not do this. And I'm like, actually, my friends don't think this is cool. Right. They yeah, are as no. outraged as you are. What, was what the, happened? What was the context? Why did you get um, I was in D.C. I had on heels. You know, you always have to walk anywhere. And Say I was no like, more. yeah. No <laughs> I get it. Stranger car, can you get me to point B? Yes. All right, let's go. Did you ask them did or did they down? ask you? No, I asked them. Wow. That is risky. Well, I that's feel like that's than... less risky than if they drive up and they say, hey, can I can I oh, give no, you a ride? But then I, they, they're in control. That's I riskier also, than anything I've ever done. I also did not think it was risky because we're in D.C. D.C. traffic is terrible, which means you're basically sitting. So I was like, oh, if I needed to, like, jump out of this car, there's no risk. That was we're your escape plan? Still. You had yeah. an escape plan? Yeah. So I, I have picked up many people on the side of the road i i love he likes to do that it's just i love hearing their story why are you walking on the side of the highway at midnight you know that Uh that sort of thing and (laughs) i come up with my escape plan have you ever seen the movie nothing to lose with martin lawrence and And, tim uh, Tim Robbins? robbins well in that movie part of the opening scene is tim robbins is driving martin lawrence jumps into the car to carjack Tim Robbins, and he's had a, he's and at he's the end had of his the role. worst day. Like he's, and he just looks at Martin Lawrence and he says, "You picked the wrong guy," <laughs> and he just guns it. He puts his foot on the pedal and he just starts speeding through traffic. And Martin Lawrence's reaction to that, he's like, he realizes he's not the one in control anymore, even though he has a gun, right? Yeah. Tim Robbins just goes crazy. So my my solution to that has always been. If I pick somebody up oh. and they think they're gonna like get me, I'm gonna out crazy them, That's right. right? And I'm just gonna start freaking out and make them so scared that they're gonna ask to get out of the car. Ooh, Dave! That's so good. I was gonna out crazy them. That's good. Yeah. So like did you it. did you get a moment to scope the person out before you asked, or did you just wave? Down? No, no. So when you a did, man or a woman? It was a man. Older than you? Do you remember? I think what older okay. than he, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's risky, Wendy. Yes. That's really risky. Was he dressed? Yeah. Not, like. He did have on a suit. Okay. Maybe he has a uh, more responsibility, or at least he goes somewhere. Mm-hmm. Somebody's expecting him today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. That's pretty risky. That's though. awesome. I like it. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. You have been on the move. Yeah. That's cool. And then when did you, what, like, what brought you down here to, uh, up here to Maryland? Um, I got accepted into grad school at the University of Maryland, so six years ago, um, and then I've been here, you know, trying to finish this degree. That's cool. What are you studying? Sociology. Nice. With a specific, like, niche in there somewhere? Yes. Uh, Racial and ethnic identity. Oh, man. We got to get into that at some point. (laughs) Yeah. That's going to be really cool. I'm very, that's why... That's why Wendy's here today. That's why you're here. Okay, cool. I can't wait. <laughs> tell us, uh, tell us what it was like growing up in Memphis. Um, what do you mean? Well, how would you, I know, best summarize your experience growing up, um, given your unique situation? Um, how is it going? Well, hmm. I think it was isolating. 
at times, given my unique situation, as you put it, which I would think you are referring to the fact that I'm adopted. That was that was an extreme <laughs> lack of better terms that People I People who are listening have no clue what this unique yeah, situation is. So, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, which would be everyone, <laughs> um, I am Korean-American, so born in Korea, adopted to the U.S. to a white family, a white couple, um, and I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. So my mom is from Memphis um, in like northern Mississippi, and my dad's side of the family is from Wisconsin. Um, but when it was time for them to kind of like settle down, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was between, you know, they wanted to be with family. And my mom was like, it's too cold in Wisconsin. <laughs> like we have to be That's in the true. South. And I'm so happy yeah. that she said that. And I'm so happy that my dad was like, yes. You know, honey, we will do, you know, you're you're right. We will do that. Um, because even though I grew up in Memphis and that's where I lived, we spent a lot of time in Wisconsin. So, like, summers, Christmas, you know, stuff like that. So, nice. I did spend a lot. I, would, I think it was a lot of time there as well mm-hmm. when I was growing up. So, I said that growing up in Memphis was... You said isolating. Isolating, yeah. Because I was the only adopted person that I knew of. Huh. Um, and... So, I mean, there's that, and everyone else's family is kind of like a biological family. So, it's already odd, or just I'm different, and then I'm not the same race as my family. So, then it's like you can't escape, you know, people knowing, like, something is going on here. Um, And then I was the only Asian person that I knew until middle school. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, until middle school. I mean, when I was, like, really, really young... um, so my dad was in the military, so we did kind of like, you know, move a few places before settling in Memphis. And before then, so we moved to Memphis when I was maybe like four. So, I mean, before then no I had... Before right, that, exactly. Yeah. But we were, you know, on military bases and, you know, there's pictures of me with like other Asian kids or just other kids who weren't white. But I mean, yeah, no memory. So it was very isolating mm-hmm. um, to not have other folks who had like the same family situation, to not, you know, know other people who look like me. Um, and so it was a lot of like trying to figure out what these kind of two very key or significant parts of me, what that meant and not really having a way to figure it out because this was like before the internet (laughs) (laughs) so I mean I couldn't like google it or YouTube and be like it's cool you know there are other folks out here Um, it was literally like me like looking and not see you know not even being able to ask the question Mm -hmm. and then when I got a little bit older it was me like going to the library like trying to find you know books that reflected me and there weren't any books so it was just kind of, you know, isolating, I even though there were people, you know. It makes, it makes yep. total sense now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At, at, what, at what point in your life, what age did you, like, begin to, like, consciously be aware of, hmm, this is a little bit different. I don't see anyone looks like, what age did you become, like, conscious of that and become mm. uh, more curious and interested, interested in, in your, your personal history and background? Right. Um... I can't really think of a time where it was like, that was the day Mm -hmm. that I realized that I was, you know. Um, But I do remember um, I had a bag, like a little bag, you know, packed of clothes in case my parents decided they didn't want me anymore. So Mm -hmm. I remember that because my parents found it, you know, like in my closet. And they're like, why do you have this bag of clothes? Like, what's up? And, you know, I guess I said, you know, in case you don't want, you know, whatever. So, I mean... Clearly, it was somewhere in my mind that, like, 
you know, if my first parents, you know, didn't want me, you know, or whatever, then why would this second set of parents, you know, what's stopping them from, you know, not wanting me? Wow. So was, how do your parents recall that story? Like, what's um, their, I can't imagine. It would break as my a, heart. Right? I would, yeah. I'd still be crying about yeah, it. I'm almost <laughs> like, it's, I'm not, wasn't even there. <laughs> like, it's emotional for me to hear that. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll have to ask because it's just a memory that I have. And it's not even that I remember, like, I'm going to pack this bag. I just remember, like, Something that they actually. found, you know, yeah. and remember kind of more so of a feeling and not even necessarily what was said, you know, or anything mm-hmm. like that. So I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to ask. Yeah. And your family was supportive of you um, uh, as you were, like, fi- getting old enough now where you're starting to, like, seek out, um, you know, just a little bit about your 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 racial heritage where mm-hmm. you're from like yeah. did, were, were, was your family very supportive of, of you did you welcome them into the process or were you doing it all low key yeah so those are great great questions so i think so you know as i was growing up i think you know there was a time where you know clearly i was like you know my family is different i'm different you know racially um but i and i had some sort of feelings or interest or you know something but I also think that when there is no information to be found that at some point I became I don't necessarily want to say less interested but it was just not a reality for me that there was some way for me to explore this side of who I am so I think for a while it was like why like not even actively searching or looking or whatever because prior experience had told me that there was nothing there. It was just shut down. Right, you yes, were shut down. exactly. So, and that was like for a really, really long time. So when I went to um, undergrad and I went to the University of Memphis, and so it was still, you know, like still in the same environment, still like with the same kind of like racial composition, so still not really having any opportunities um, until very randomly um, I went to a semester abroad in Korea. And I would say it was really random because I hadn't thought about it, you know, actively, you know, maybe somewhere back there. Um, But I had went to this talk. It's so random. Um, So there was this big talk, you know, special invited lecture, and it was Sister Soldier. And this was like a really long time ago. (laughs) Okay. And it was, you know, very controversial because at that time she had said some things, I think, about uh, maybe Bill Clinton. I don't even remember, but it was like a really big deal, and like folks had a lot of feelings about it. Hmm. And I just remember part of what she was talking about, and she was saying like, you know, you have to know know where you come from and you know I mean people say that all the time but like at that time that she said it it was like I was open to receiving what that meant Mm -hmm. and like the next day you know I'm walking on campus or whatever and I see this poster for the study abroad office and it says like imagine Asia or like discover Asia and I'm like yes that is what I'm gonna do and so I like went to the study abroad office I was like I want to go to Korea and like the study abroad you know office you know person was like really excited about like you know of course getting students to study abroad and like the next semester I was in Korea wow and so it was just like kind of like that right and you know, I went to Korea, be, you know, you know, that's where I was born, but I had, like, zero expectations. Like, I wasn't trying to find relatives. You know, I wasn't trying to, you know, there wasn't some to-do list. I was just like, I just want to go and, like, experience Korea. And it was funny because my family had never really brought up Korea to me or tried to, like, 
you know, say, here's a book about Korea or like, let's eat Korean food or like Korean people. Um, so there was really nothing, you know, going on as far as like encouraging it. I won't necessarily say that they were actively they weren't discouraging, discouraging it, it, but they also weren't actively like encouraging Maybe not even a consideration on their part right. that that would be a value. Exactly. Exactly. So because they're thinking, you know, like you're our child or you're, you know, our family member, you know, we love you, you know, that's it, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went to Korea, it was like, I just want to experience it. And it was funny because even though none of my family members or friends are really had ever said anything about Korea to me, once I said I was going, they had a lot of advice. They were like, you need to do this and be careful of this. And at that time, like, SARS was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, and they were just giving me all this advice. And I'm like, y'all have never said anything about Korea <laughs> to me ever before. And now, all of a sudden, y'all are, like, the experts on <laughs> Korea. Like, I'm not listening to any of y'all. Like, I just want to go and, like, experience it for whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. And I think to that, it was like, Going to Korea, I think about it as, like, being able to, like, exhale. Like, I was holding my breath up until that time and didn't even know it. But then going there, it was like I could exhale and, like, relax and be, like, comfortable in my own skin. And it was just a really transformative experience for me in a lot of different ways that I didn't, you know, anticipate. Wow. That's awesome. I can't imagine to always be the minority to then not feel like you stick out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you don't belong. And even in your own family, like there's even a not belonging. Mm-hmm. I would feel, I would think that with a adoptive family, the idea of bonding would be really important, right? Like, we have this new child in our home. Like, let's do everything we can to bond. So anything that might seem like a difference, we almost wouldn't want to give it any FaceTime. We wouldn't want to give it any sort of uh, um, acknowledgement because that could be seen as a threat or an enemy to that bonding. So I guess, what do you think is the difference between families of adoptive uh, adopted kids where differences don't divide mm-hmm. as opposed to the families where, you know, if there's a difference there, then it could break our family apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that's Yeah, so there's actually a lot of research on kind of that exact question, like for adoptive families. And so research finds that families who actually do address, you know, like address the elephant in the room and kind of see their stories and their experiences as linked together, like we're going through this together, um, that those children fare better and have better self-esteem and kind of better self-concept than families where they do try to do the thing where it's like, oh no, we're not different at all, when it's like, uh, we are different, like Uh something's different. So for families who actually do kind of address it, um, those children have better outcomes than for families who try to pretend like, oh, nothing is different here. You know, it's all in your head if you think, you Then know. the kid doesn't have to have that exhale experience because right. then they've been exactly. living and breathing it their whole life. They haven't had to hold their, hold their breath. Right. Man, that's wild. Let's, let's go back in time a little bit. So that's when you were in, that's when you were at University of Memphis, mm-hmm. right? Let's go back to your senior year of high school. <laughs> okay. 
This is what we like to call pop quiz. Oh. Pop quiz time. <laughs> we, we need to think of a jingle. jingle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, what lets us get to know a little bit more about you. Okay. So, try to get in your time machine and go back to 2001 when you graduated high school. I'm mm. sorry, I just revealed your age. <laughs> if you were one of the women that care about that. I do not. Okay, cool. So, uh... <laughs> Let's see. Okay, so Dave's got music. You got music stuff? Yeah, sure. I'll and I'll do some just up. like pop, other pop culture stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. okay. This singer was uh-huh. tragically killed in an airplane crash. Um, I can only think of one singer, and it, it, it either will or will not be this person. Was it Aaliyah? It was it Aaliyah. Was Aaliyah. <laughs> of course it was Aaliyah. It was Aaliyah. Gone too soon. Mm-hmm. Speaking of singers, this singer had a movie that was like the biggest bomb, no pun intended, that year. <laughs> I have no idea. It was Mariah Carey with glitter. Uh. <laughs> All right, speaking of movies, though, let's talk about uh, there's the top ten movies. Can you give me one? No. What was like a big movie that I year? don't know. A big I have movie no idea. Two thousand one. Mm-hmm. That was a really long time ago. That's a hard question. I'm trying to think because that's when my wife graduated high school. So I'm trying to think of dates that I went on with her. This was a good year, man. We got Shrek. Okay. Was number three. A Rush Hour 2 was number five. Huh. Where's the, mummy, the Mummy Returns came out in 2001. Huh. I'm a huge Mummy fan. so. Where's Armageddon in all that? Uh, like that no, was... no, no. It's not 2001, I don't think. Yeah. Jurassic Park 3 uh, with my girl, Taylor Leone. <laughs> uh, co-star of The Family Man. What, top, listen. One of my top five favorite movies of all time. This, a Dave, I don't want to get into this right now. Please. Nicolas Cage and Taylor Leone. It's the dynamic duo that never was. All right, Dave, let's go on to, uh, let's see how Wendy's music chops are. All right. Senior year. Senior were you, year Were you school. hip to the music scene? I right. don't know. I guess we're going to find out. Right here, <laughs> I have the top ten hot singles of that year. <laughs> All right. And first, I'm going to give you a chance to list any of the top ten singles from that year with no prompting. With after, no. after round one, we'll move into round two, where I'll read down through the list of artists, and you can tell me what song that year was, was their hit, okay? <laughs> okay, okay, without prompting. Yeah, without prompting, top, do you have any <laughs> top ten single song? Yeah, um, okay, Cisco. The singer, the song, oh. being the okay. bong song. No, I feel too like that early, was, too late. I feel like that was 2000, uh, right? Enter the Dragon was like 99, 2000, I think. Okay. Yeah. That was a good guess, though. Okay, okay. Lil Wayne and or Cash Money or any conglomeration conglomeration <laughs> of people <laughs> from that label? No. No. Mm, a strike too. Mm. I'm gonna just, I, just help me out here. All right. Artist is Lifehouse. I don't even know who that is, so yeah. that's gonna be hanging by a moment. I got nothing. Wow. Uh, Alicia Keys. Okay. Can you name the song? Oh, can I can name, name the, the song? song? Oh, Fallen. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Janet Jackson. Oh, I have no idea. Dante. That's the that's the All for You album. All for All You. All for You. No. Yep. Train. No, I don't know. Drops of Jupiter. Nope. <laughs> wow, this is some white people. Not music. my scene. <laughs> right. Jennifer Lopez, featuring Ja Rule. I know it. You know it. I don't know the name. Ain't it funny? I, I'm real. <laughs> Oh, the Ain't It Funny remix was out that year, okay. though. Matchbox 20. Wow, there's a lot of... Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh... uh, 
Uh... Nah, if you're gone. Uh, <laughs> Eve featuring Gwen Stefani. Rich Girl? Let Me Blow Your Mind. Uh, just... Dido. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> no. Thank you. I want to thank you for giving me the best days Okay. Lenny Kravitz. Again. Oh, uh, Destiny's American, Child. Amer- Which version Survivor. of Destiny's Child? Independent Woman. This is hard. Yeah. This, this is, is very difficult. This is difficult. I thought it would be a lot easier. We to recall something of, from... From <laughs> your senior... Because music is so important to like a senior in high school. We I need to like. revamp this. Yeah, this list. is way too difficult. Can you tell me which huge historical event happened to cause anyone? <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not funny at all. It's not September fun. 11th. I, you laughed. I didn't laugh. Got really I dark. asked the question. I only so laughed because we'll reva- I was happy I knew the answer. Well, yeah, she finally gets one right. We'll revamp the... Uh, we got to come up with some more accessible trivia. Oh, Dave will like this one. According to Nielsen TV Research, what was the number one TV show? Seinfeld. Nope. nope. That ended in 99. Nope. It uh, was Friends. It was Friends. Friends. Why would you say I like that? Because you like Friends. You I said, you said I would white not, people like Friends. White people like Friends. I'm not <laughs> saying that I'm... That's I just go on the party line with everything. I've never seen a full episode of Friends in my entire life. Or I've never seen a full episode of Seinfeld either. Yeah. That's a shame. All right, let's get back to Wendy. This isn't about me. Um, here we go. Here's another thing we do with our guests. Okay. Uh, she's getting the full gambit of yeah. everything. She's got the latte. Significant moment? Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Let's, uh, what, would, what would you say is a defining moment? Oh, a defining life? moment. <clears throat> Unless you have, like, the defining moment. But we normally just make it simpler to <laughs> say, what's A? Because you don't want to put too much pressure on the on the question. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think going to Korea was definitely a defining moment. True. Because I came back and I felt just, like, more comfortable in myself, more confident in myself. Um, but I think another defining moment... Mm, uh when I quit another job. <laughs> so I am a really big... like quitting jobs. I do. I am a big quitter. She's going to quit I, this podcast. Do you, like, do you quit in like grand fashion where you like are like, like clearing thing? off desks? You can't fire me because I quit. <laughs> right. Burning no. bridges. No. Right. No, I just, you know... Stealing uh, all paper. the office supplies. Right. Soap uh, from the bathroom. <laughs> you have to be ex- escorted out of the building. <laughs> Ma'am, no. please... <laughs> we'll we'll never hear stuff. Just please, it doesn't have to go down like this. <laughs> no, I'm no. It's not dramatic or tragic. But I do, I just don't believe in like staying somewhere just for the like because I stick with everything, you know, type of thing. I feel like if it's not serving you, if it's not, if it's you know whatever, it's time to go. Like it's that. okay, it's time to go. Um, so okay. A defining moment was when I quit another job. Um, so before I, or when maybe when I didn't quit, how long it took me to quit. Um, when I, before I started grad school, I was working in a nightclub. I think you knew that. No, you don't. Your face says you that. didn't know that. No. Okay. So. Not up here then, down No, in Memphis. in Memphis. I was okay. working in a nightclub. Okay, so here is, it'll be a very long story as they all are. Um, so I previously quit another job and okay. started working at the nightclub very randomly. Um, but it was like, my life is falling apart. Clearly my plans for my life are not my own. 
just, you know, let it go. And so I randomly started working at this nightclub and ended up convincing the owner to hire me full time. So I quit. I was working um, for the state of Tennessee, <laughs> social services. I quit that job to work at the nightclub full time. What was your role there? At the nightclub, mm-hmm. I was assistant to the owner. Um, I also did, so it was a pretty big nightclub. So I did like VIP hostessing, mm-hmm. um, like people would make re- reservations, things like that. If there were special guests, you know, guest artists Do coming in town. Right, exactly. So kind of just a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. like hiring people, submitting payroll, etc. So I was like, you know what, this will be fun. This is something I never thought I'd do. Um, You know, why not? Nothing else is working out. Why not do this? So I was like, just a year, you know, just something fun. Um, And so like a year, and then it was like two years, and then it was like three years. And, you know, by then it was like, you know what, it's really time for me to move on. But were you loving it? I was loving it. It was awesome, um, you know, like partying, you know, working, but also part, you know, just enjoying myself, having a good time. Um, but after a while, like for real, God had put on my heart, like it's time for you to go. Like mm-hmm. you got your lesson, it is time to move on. Um, but you know, me and my infinite wisdom, it was like no, <laughs> not yet. Um, I got to do some things first. So it was like the summer, and God was like, it's time for you to go, and I was like. No, God, I got this. So um, I was like, I'm just going to keep doing this because you don't know what you're talking about. Because and it was comfortable or because you, like, what what made you stay because other than I, just wanting to do things your own way? Because I felt that there were some loose ends that I wanted to tie up first, um, having to do with my employment, um, that I felt like I needed to get worked out before I left. Okay. And so around this same time, I, my friends and I were decided we were going to go church hopping because <laughs> it's like, let's have fun. Let's go church hopping. Right. So we went and hopped on to Fellowship Memphis. And that was our first church that we stopped at. And that Sunday, there was a guest speaker. Um, and that guest speaker was Albert Tate. Albert Tate. And he was a friend or is a friend of Ricky Jenkins, who was one of like the associate or lead pastors at Fellowship Memphis at that time. So he was, you know, guest preaching, had just started at that time, Monrovia, Fellowship Monrovia. Mm-hmm. And he gave this sermon that was just so amazing. And I, if I felt like convicted, like that God was like, this sermon is for you. And basically what he said, or part of it was like, um, like you can miss what God has for you because you want to be in, in control all the time. Ooh. Yeah, right? Exactly. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, God. Yeah. Um, and I was like, that, you know, that sermon was for me. And so I went back to work and did not quit my job because I still felt like <laughs> I could, you know, I needed to do some things. One more, one more lap around exactly. the track. Like I still got some stuff to handle. I heard you, but not yet. Yeah, uh-huh. So we ended up well I ended up not hopping to any other churches because I really like Fellowship Memphis and you know that was a guest preacher I wanted to hear like the the pastors on the actual Fellowship Memphis team and I remember one Sunday you know I didn't make it to church because when you work in a nightclub you're working late nights and so I had overslept and I like rolled over to look at the podcast or whatever and the title of the sermon was it was Brian Loritz preaching the title of the sermon was um if you want to walk on water you have to get out of the boat and I'm like oh I heard you and so I was like I heard you God 
So like, I went to work. And like, still kept working for like, <laughs> because I'm like, I heard you. I know it's for me, but I'm not ready. And I kid you not, um, you know, God is so persistent. Um, I was living in an apartment at that time, and I started getting fleas in my apartment. Because, you know, like your apartments, you know, it's like it'll be a unit with like, you know, however many apartments. It's like a plague. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, y'all, you know, folks with pets, you know, and like I, my feet were getting all tore up. You could see these little fleas. And so I like made the, you know, call to my leasing office. I was like, look, I'm overrun with fleas. Like y'all need to do something. So they came and they're like, you know, we didn't see any fleas in your apartment. And I'm like, I'm not crazy, y'all. Like. I had to call them again because, like, I'm like, no, I see them. There's, like, a dead one on my foot right now. And so they came. They put, like, the little flea, like, sticky pads. They were like, we're going to spray. And I kid you not, they could not find any fleas in my apartment. And I was like, okay, God, you doing, like, some Old Testament type (laughs) It was a plague. It was a plague. It was a plague. And, like, you know, and so I was like, okay. Did you think you were going crazy? No, because I was like, I know it's like I see them with my eyes. That's the worst kind of crazy when you don't know you're going crazy. (laughs) That's the worst kind of crazy. But so finally, I was like, okay, I got it. Like, I got it. So I went, you know, I ended up, I quit my, I did eventually, finally, six months later, um, quit my job. I did not have another job lined up. I did not know what was going to be next, but I was like, you're right. (laughs) so I did I finally quit my job and that was in December of 2011 and I just remember waking up the next morning and I have never felt such peace in my life even though I was like I ain't got no job I don't know how these bills about to get paid but I felt like you know like the whole world was calm and like it just felt so like I can't even really explain how it felt but just like overjoyed like freedom like anything is possible the world is mine and you know I was just like now why didn't I do this six months ago like what how what else did I miss out on because I wanted to be you know in control and so I that is a defining moment in my life and then about a month after that I got accepted into grad school and now I'm here that's That's so perfect because (laughs) that's awesome I was gonna before you jump on that I feel like I, through a last transition I went through, there was that moment where I knew I needed to leave before I knew what was coming up next. Mm -hmm. And I had people tell me for the longest time, God doesn't call you away from things, he calls you to things. Mm -hmm. And that like stalled me out so many times because I didn't know what was next. And so, but I knew, like, I was so restless and I knew it was time to, to move on. And... I was taken to the passage where Abraham was called, right? And God says, leave the land of your fathers and go to the land that I will show you, right? And so you have to leave first before you're even shown where he's going to take you next. And that like, there's like a space in between when you leave and when he shows you that it is a mix of like peace and excitement and there's risk in that because there's faith in that and they're like it's just such a unique time that people miss out on because they want to have everything lined up in just the right way so i probably wouldn't ever advise somebody to leave, <laughs> quit their job if they don't have anything lined up but when like you're saying when god says something you just gotta jump on it sometimes mm-hmm. you gotta take that leap 
Absolutely. So that you know, leaving that job freed you up to then eventually be led to graduate school. So I wanted to talk to you about like your major and your thesis. Uh, could you give us <laughs> what it is again, and then <laughs> um, why you decided to take that route or take that path, and then what are what have you discovered? throughout this process of pursuing that degree. Mm, okay. Like, like, how can you give us, a, in a nutshell, <laughs> a much in a way where we can story. understand um, the extensive <laughs> years of work you've been doing? <laughs> so, yeah, okay, so first let me tell you, so I was talking to my dad and <laughs> trying to explain to him, like, okay, I have my dissertation defense date set, which is, like, a really big deal because mm-hmm. that's when you actually defend this work that you've been doing for the past however many years. And so I'm explaining to him, like, you know, the date is set, so that's a big deal. It's going to happen, you know, because that is when they actually say, like, you right, are exactly. a doctor now, yes. right? And you get the degree, you know, in May or whatever. Yes. And so he's like, oh, well, what happens at the actual defense? So I'm, like, explaining it to him. And he says, oh, so it's like a book report. And and, and I like died a little, and and I was like fighting back tears on the phone, and I'm like, well, you know, and he's like, the book is a textbook that I wrote. He's like, I mean, you know, I know it's more complicated than that, but you know, just kind of like you know, layman's kind of simplified, and I'm like, yeah, sure. So it's like now I get it why people are like, what do you mean you're still in school? Because they're like, you're just doing a book review, you know, so. Okay, so my work, you know, in general, so I am getting my PhD in sociology. In general, my work looks at racial and ethnic identity development. So kind of how people come into their racial or ethnic identity, what are, you know, what's the process, you know, what are the contexts that affect their identity development, whether that's home, friends, right. you know, other context, you know, contexts like that. And then I look at it in different ways. So for example, in the dissertation, I look at how do you create transnational, transracial adoptees, you know, develop a racial identity, um, whether that's as Asian and ethnic identity as specifically as Korean, but then also how do they develop um, a kind of unique identity as Korean adoptees. So that's not just maybe an identity as American or identity as Korean, but Mm -hmm. the experiences that they've had growing up, you know, Korean, typically in a white family, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of how does that impact their identity development? So I'm really interested in those moments of kind of, you know, racial boundary crossing, right? So it's like Korean children and white families, you know, and how does that impact identity development? So that's kind of like a really broad um, or kind of general overview. Um, As you might imagine, what motivated me to that was my own experiences and really my experiences of not having any books, you know, or not having any information. you know, it's different now because there's, you know, the internet, you know, everything that you need, you can probably Google it and find it eventually. But for me growing up, like, you went to the library and there was nothing there. So a big motivation for me was just like, I don't want some other adopted kid to not see themselves. Um, and so that's kind of like what motivated me into this line, you know, line of work or a specific subfield. Mm-hmm. But then prior to that, or part of that is when I was in undergrad, you know, like I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. 
um, I'm actually amazed that people know when they're like 18, 19 years old. And so I was just taking classes that were interesting to me. And a lot of those were sociology classes. So I was like, this is cool. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to be a sociologist, you know, when I grow up. And I really didn't know what that meant at the time. But I was like, I enjoy taking these classes. I think it's awesome that you can like learn stuff and share with people. I like to learn stuff and share with people. You know, let's do that. And so that is kind of like... At that time, I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, now, as you might imagine, like, I graduated undergrad in 2005, and I just started my grad school, you know, like, five years ago, which is was not 2005. So there's a lot of stuff in between that. Um, but now, you know, here I am, you know, actually able to do this thing that I really had a passion for since then. That's really cool. So has your life the past year or two have been, like, interviewing a ton of people who have had the same experience or who have had to go through something similar mm-hmm. as you. Right, exactly. Just cataloging what their experience was like. Yeah, so interviewing a lot of other, you know, folks adopted from Korea. And then also I did, you know, had an online survey where folks could respond to, you know, a series of questions asking about their experiences, you know, growing up and mm-hmm. kind of how they think about themselves now as well. Wow. Hmm. Throughout all your all of your work, have you been able to pinpoint anything about your personal growth and development where you can like kind of trace it back to, you know, like you're reading something or learning something through an interview uh, on this side and you were able to look back at your personal past and say, oh, that's how that affected me. Mm-hmm. Have you had more sort of clarity in that or is it still kind of... I think you know, it, you know, definitely when I have, you know, was conducting the, the interviews with folks, it is... Um, kind of affirming to hear other folks' stories and to see where they are similar, but then also where they are dissimilar. Um, And so I think that's been affirming just in the shared, you know, shared storytelling. And I think the other thing for me is even as I have been doing this research, you know, I'm also on my own journey of learning more about Korea, but also meeting other Korean adoptees because I hadn't met any, well, I had met one Korean adoptee um, before I moved here to Maryland. And then since I've been here, there is, like, a Korean adoptee group in this area. So I've actually, you know, been able to meet, you know, other folks. And I think for me, one thing that I think about in this experience of grad school is, like, wow, y'all have really paid for me to do a lot of kind of, like, individual (laughs) (laughs) discovery. I mean, like, I've traveled to Korea, um, paid for through fellowships and grants, you know, and have been able to go to a lot of Korean adoptee conferences or just, you know, gatherings across the U.S. in Korea. And I'm like, and y'all pay for this, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's awesome to be able to be on a kind of personal journey of self-discovery, but also giving back to a community, both academic community, but also like on the ground community as well. So I think of the word assimilation. <laughs> and I was wondering if you could like, talk about that word from your perspective in mm-hmm. this in this realm of life of adoption especially cross-cultural and transnational mm-hmm. adoption and um yeah, I'll just leave it <laughs> wide open. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of adoption research kind of in the early years of adoption, so thinking about like the 1950s is kind of when um, adoption to the international adoption was institutionalized, meaning there was like a formal pathway to adopt children from other countries into the U.S. And that started with adoption from Korea because of the Korean War, 1950 to 1953. Um, and so 
Korea, adoption from Korea really kind of set the standard um, for what we think about international adoption today. And in those kind of early decades of international adoption, assimilation kind of was the goal, right? That you'll adopt these children, um, you know, they don't have any ties to, you know, birth countries or birth families, and they're just going to be your kids, just like any other, you know, kids that you might have had, you know, biologically. Um, of course, that's not actually the case <laughs> because there are some differences whether or not you acknowledge them or not. Other folks are going to look and be like, this child is, you know, not white. <laughs> this, <laughs> For starters. Right? right? This child is Asian or something that's not white. Um, but there was this kind of assumption that children from other countries would just assimilate into kind of mainstream white American culture and that would be fine and there wouldn't be any kind of negative consequences for that and we'll just ignore it and everybody will be happy um, but as you might imagine that wasn't the case <laughs> and so speaking from personal experience <laughs> right, that, right? Yeah. and then what you know so then research kind of in the 70s and 80s started kind of exploring like well you know did do these you know transnationally adopted children are they interested in their background you know what's going on kind of like how do they um start you know researching or trying to you know look at these connections um so i mean assimilation is not the an you know uh, the answer right. <laughs> um it's more of a I think when you try to push for a purely, you know, assimilationist kind of framework, you're missing out on a lot. So is there a replacement word or a <laughs> replacement uh, concept mm -hmm. that we wouldn't say assimilation is the goal? Is there a different, like, yes. concise, like, meth like methodology of thinking now? So now folks are more, in thinking about transnational adoption, now people kind of urge... Um, connections with whether what connections with the heritage culture whether that's through kind of like culture camps so there's a lot of like Korean nice. culture camps um, and then there are I also go to Korean culture camp. <laughs> <laughs> there are also like Chinese culture camps especially with kind of this big influx of adoptions from China mm -hmm. um, and so people um, adoptive parent groups as well as kind of like social workers kind of push this more like integration or multicultural mm -hmm. um, perspective um, and I think that's a, a step in the right direction. I think the I think what's even better is integration as a family into a multicultural setting. Mm. So it's one thing if you say, okay, I've adopted this child from Korea, and we're gonna you know send her to Korean culture camp, you know, or go to these weekend Korean cultural activities. Um, but culture is not like a weekend thing. You know what I mean? Culture is like an everyday thing. So if it's just a weekend thing, then it's still, you know, it's not as important as, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's extracurricular or it's just a little something, you know, something else, but it's not integrated into the family. Sounds like what you're saying is if a family welcomes a ch child from another culture into their home, their home culture must change. Yes, exactly. I don't, yeah, that's... That's a huge shift yeah. for a family to oh, yeah. say we will never be the same because now we're, we've got this little child from a completely different place than us, like mm -hmm. from a completely different background. Yeah. Having a family that's willing to make that change and not just expect the kid to blend in, that's, I think that, that changes the posture of adopt. Like it seems like it would change the posture, yeah. posture of adoption. 
So what would be, what are you dreaming of uh, next in your life? <laughs> in my life? Um, well, I'm looking forward to getting this PhD, mm-hmm. <laughs> ending this six-year kind of journey. What's your date? Um, so my dissertation defense date is March 26th. Ooh, nice. Yeah. And then graduation is May 19th. Awesome. So, yeah. So all still just right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, the next kind of thing that I'm dreaming about is being able to travel. Like, I really want to travel, like, internationally. And so I'm looking forward to that. And then when you grow up, <laughs> what do you want to be? When I grow up. Once you finish school once and I, given book reports. <laughs> given all my book reports. <laughs> um, really, I just want to have the freedom to, to travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like financial freedom, time, availability, you know, all that to be able to travel enjoy some you know fun experiences with folks that I care about um, and that care about me yeah. what's so, like what's give us like some bucket list of like what are your top three places that um, I want to go to Italy because mm-hmm. I'm ready to eat like, okay, I was gonna say, Italian I was gonna, food I was gonna say why <laughs> it's gonna be food every place no it's not okay I want to go to okay to France or a French speaking place because I, mean, I want to go to Naples like that's the birthplace of pizza so <laughs> Naples Italy yeah I want to I love the French language uh, so I want to go somewhere French speaking and um, culinary capital of the world <laughs> and I want to see the northern lights northern lights are big yeah. like on my list yes like, really yeah it, so apparently really, apparently there's I'm an right observation there yeah. there's an observation deck up in the mountains in Hawaii oh. that will give you the best look at the galaxy as well as the northern lights on earth really mm-hmm. in hawaii right that's hawaii. why i'm like no in you gotta go to iceland to see the northern light like yeah. that's i thought that was the i hear hawaii or at least the elevation wow. <laughs> yeah right the elevation and really? where it is i heard that it's the best place. i'm gonna google this it's was, worth googling i was really hoping i was in nova scotia for a, one night and i was hoping that i would catch a glimpse but there was nothing Aww. nothing nothing so did you? Was that top three? Was that she only gave? She no, oh it, yeah, there were three. Yeah, yeah. Italy, Italy, France, Italy, France. Italy, and, and yeah, Northern Lights. That's good. What's on your list, Dante? Um, I would uh, definitely like Italy, like Rome, and Naples, and uh, I really want to go to the Philippines. That's where my wife is from, and uh, I'd love to go just to see where she's from. It, like it would be really really special and mm-hmm. cool and also for like my daughter too to see um and let's see i really would like to go to hawaii or some polynesian island because mm-hmm. i just i'm obsessed with their culture yeah i also really like to go to india too because i'm obsessed with their culture i'm obsessed with their food so yeah <laughs> yeah everything it's like it's, their clothing and like mm-hmm music and yeah I'd really like to go to Jerusalem too Julie, you know? that's high on Julie's list it's kind of she tri- really wants to do uh, a Jerusalem like trip. it doesn't trip more people out that like you could go and walk the same streets that Jesus walked like right why isn't everyone talking about that every day <laughs> yeah um, mm-hmm. yeah that would be really cool that's awesome what about you Devo uh, Northern Lights without a doubt that's on high on the list 
I would love. So like Alaska or like Nova no, Scotia? I my thought would probably probably be Iceland. Iceland, Iceland. Iceland. yeah, hot like, springs, mm-hmm. Northern Lights. That's Ooh. the experience. Like I, I feel like you can get some relatively inexpensive flights to Iceland. Like, in the past couple years, I've known several people who've gone to Iceland. I'm like, what's up with that? I hear it's <laughs> cheap to get there, but once you're there, oh, it's, it's expensive. expensive. So that's how that's they their, That's their in. trick. Yeah, they make it really easy to get there. But then you have to spend all your money once you're there. Oh, Airbnb. But, Iceland. Right? Uh, I'd love to spend a week in Costa Rica um, learning how to surf. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really cool. Uh, or two weeks, or a month and a half, <laughs> or something. Yeah, and then I'd love to get lost in like Southeast Asia. I knew you were gonna say that. I would love to get lost there, where you just no timeline, no destination. You just roam for roam for a month. Nice. Mm-hmm. So some of those are feasible. Me breaking away from my family for a month <laughs> and a half to go get lost in Southeast Asia is not not on the list. For real, for Take real. With you, man. But the other two, I think, are, are very feasible. Yeah. All right. One more question before we go. Bring it. It's one of my favorites. This could be another hour of conversation. <laughs> but what movie did you cry the hardest on? Are you a crier? I am a crier. Okay. Like, I used to not be. I used to, like, there were the tear ducts did not work. But now, like, all the time. I cry all the time. Oh, my gosh, all the time. I cry on commercials sometimes. <sighs> Okay, They've gotten so, so good with commercials yeah, these days. They compact, you know, <laughs> a movie's worth of emotion into 30 seconds, you know. So. Um, the last movie that I cried, like, cried for real, for real, um, <laughs> uh, Dory. Finding, Finding Dory. Dory. That's a Oh, my gosh. That w- is a big, like, yeah. adoptee trigger movie. Like, I wow, so was... the whole thing? <laughs> yes. I was crying. That? And my boyfriend was like, why are you crying? I'm like, oh, no one will help her Don't find her family. Oh. oh, my gosh. I cried so much. Uh, that's a good one. That's sweet. I think I got a little bit emotional watching The Greatest Showman this past week. <laughs> I want to see it so bad. It was really good. Let's go see it now. I, what's that? You want to go see it now? I know. I already saw it. Mm. That's the thing. Like, so that's a no? That's a no. <laughs> Do you watch movies more than once? One and done. From 99% of the movies I've ever watched. Usually in the theaters one just once, but I'll watch them at home. Mm-hmm. So, The Greatest Showman. I would, I grew up as a like, circus-loving kid. So I thought you were about to say you grew up in the circus. <laughs> I wanted to. You could have. I, I really Dave wanted to. Dave went to juggling to. camp. Oh. Yeah. I went to the International Jugglers Association uh, Baltimore chapter every week oh my gosh. to go learn from street performers and clowns. Maybe he'll show you when we're done here. Yeah, I've really... Sh- there, that's, again, this is a whole nother... Uh, like, <laughs> we, we can, can talk t- for another hour about this. Matter of fact, let's wrap this thing yeah. up so we can do some juggling. <laughs> and I want to try to make another latte. So let's do it. Wendy, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you. There's Sharing like, your story. Like, I, I know you, so I know this. There's like... We could, we could be here easily for another, you know, three hours because there's so much more about you well, obviously, there's so much more about you that I don't know, but there's so much more about you that I do know that we didn't even touch on. So, another time. But thank you for sharing um, uh, your experience and your story with us. And it's a powerful one. And I'm just, as someone that's on the sidelines looking at you and seeing what you're doing and what you're accomplishing, I'm very proud of you. And I'm so happy for like, what's in store for your future. So thank, thank you for you. Sharing a piece of that with us here. Thank you for having me, and thank you for this latte, which is now like cold coffee, right? (laughs) Right. Like, should I still drink it? You are more than welcome.
Adios. See you guys.